You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 138 of the Lightbird Podcast. My name is David Ian Howe, and I am your host today. And my co-host, I guess we're both co-hosts, is here today. And that is Connor Cochran Johnnen. And Carlton is not here today because he is flying back from Lisbon, Portugal, and he was in Italia before that, and, oof, probably canceled. Anyway, it's okay, I grew up around Italians, speak Italian, partly. Anyway, Carlton is not here, Connor, so you know what that means. Oh, yeah! It's Paleo Sunday. But it's Saturday Woo! recording this. Paleo Monday for you guys. All right. He's not here. He only likes pottery and indigenous stuff. We're, <laughs> we're here talking about mammoths, mastodons, saber-tooth cats, scimitar cats, giant beavers. What's up? Connor, do you want to bring us in in some way? Yeah, yeah. So we're specifically going to talk about the Pleistocene in North America because that's what we're familiar with. That's where the cool stuff is. The rest of the world sucks at that time, and it doesn't yeah, matter. Still sucks. Yes, still sucks. <laughs> so, in general, the Pleistocene. Oh, what is it like? The last fifty. Uh, the Pleistocene. It's like I think it's like a million years. Yeah. So it's like the last million years. They're doing a bunch of weird stuff. A lot of climate things. A lot of heating and cooling of the in, entire uh, world atmosphere, and it presents itself differently in different environments. Two point five mil to eleven thousand years ago. Okay. Yeah. So it's a huge, huge period of time. I think we're specifically more interested and going to focus on like the last little bit, like the last 50,000, the terminal scene. Ooh, wow. Sorry. I probably cut you off. Gone. No, it's good. What's, what is the terminal Pleistocene? What would you, what would you, that's just like dates? the technical term I see for it. The dates I, I, I call terminal Pleistocene like 15,000 years on. Cause like, okay. and we'll get into that. Yeah. It's like the terminal terminal, like right as like the beginning and end of the last glacial maximum, right? Where things start getting wild. Yeah. Where humans are, you know, all over the place doing some stuff. Crazy. They're in Australia. They're in at least way North, North America. And they're in Africa, Europe. No humans ever made it to Iceland that inhabit it. The Norse were the first to get there. So that is the only place that has not been colonized. Hit that button. Oh, yeah! They did colonize the local foxes or something like that, probably. But, you know, what can you do? <laughs> New Zealand, Polynesia wasn't populated till like 3,000 years ago to like, you know, 500 years ago, really, in like most spots. So, And Australia was like 41, right? That's when you see... 50. Yeah. 50. Okay. That's when they... Yeah. Yeah. Rowing boats down from Indonesia... Papua New Guinea. Possibly took a land bridge, but, you know, you use that word and you're going to get all the hate. But, yeah, possibly swam in boats. I think Stefan's a big proponent of that. Swam in boats. I went in boats. <laughs> you put water in the boat and you swim in it, right? Yeah. You know? It's like a Joe Rogan ice bath kind of situation. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, elk meat. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, trying to get their athletic <laughs> greens. 
But anyway, possibly Homo erectus made it to Australia, but we definitely only see modern humans get there about 50,000 years ago. And uh, a common question I get on the internet all the time is, are Australians modern humans? And I'm like, I'm just going to leave that one on, on red. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not clear, right? It's Well, like, if we want to say that humans reached their behavioral modernity 40,000 years ago in Europe, like with all the cave art and stuff like that, the people that made it to Australia 50,000 years ago wouldn't be. But with later populations of modern humans going in there, they would be completely replaced like they were everyone else. So, but I, I mean, I think 100,000 years on, we're like modern humans. It's just cultural spread more so than evolutionary spread, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it would be, you, you wouldn't see it in, in the, the bones or anything like that. You would see it in the material culture and that stuff more than anything. Exactly. And like Vinny said, like, if you find Danny DeVito in uh, Italy, his skeleton, and then you find Shaquille O'Neal in Africa, or let's say like Yao Ming in China, you're going to think those are different species. And like, we're going to lump them into different things and or split them into different things, but they're all human. So kind of doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, I'm on team in that. And so in, in North America specifically, like the last hundred thousand years, it was just like a series of like getting cold, like 120,000 years. That's where like the, the last interglacial period is where things are warm, better. You're making wine somewhere. I don't know. There's usually some things like you could make wine in Alaska. It's always like the, really the joke. Oh no, it was just like, I feel like I hear that a lot on like news articles. Like, oh, the climate will change. You can, it's always uh, like, you, you can like have grapes here or something. It's like a marker, which doesn't matter. But I kind of always understood the Pleistocene as like, uh, especially towards the end of it, like a lot of like warming and cooling phases with the younger driest being a spectacularly warm period. But it's kind of like when you have the flu or COVID, you're like hot and then you're cold. So like you just take the blanket on and off. So like species couldn't adapt to that like rapid change in climate. Yeah. And then this this occurs all through the last 500,000 years of the Pleistocene. You're doing this up and down. So you're having probably having species die off periodically through all that or surviving if they have the right yeah. setup for it. Well, you know, there might have been a bipedal primate that used fire that was pretty good at killing things. <laughs> We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. So in in North America specifically, there's a lot of weird or weird to us animals that are there. And you mentioned a couple of them in the beginning. Do you have a favorite out of all those? Do you have like a megafauna boy? Maybe. I mean, I definitely have a clear favorite, but just to, to mention like the glyptodont, like what an interesting little animal. It's like a dinosaur essentially, but like also a beaver. I think, yeah. I think it's a, like a big beaver type or it's a giant, if I'm not mistaken, a giant rodent. Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, let's, let's fact check that, but looks like one, just an armored beaver. I think they're the ones in ice age. You see those. Um, yeah. The they're like a family age. and he's like, we're on the march. <laughs> <laughs> Genus of glyptodont mammalia family. Animalia singulata. Oh, armadillo. Cool. So, yeah, close enough. Giant armadillo. Uh, those are pretty cool. But, like, if you think about, too, like, a megalotherium, like the giant sloths, like, could you imagine 
seeing mammoths, seeing bison, seeing wolves, seeing lions, seeing reindeer, camels, horses, your whole way, let's say through the land bridge or, you know, swimming from Russia to, to Alaska, right? And then just somehow pop back on land. Um, yeah, you're going to see all those animals, but then you're going to get down further south to like, I believe, you know, the southwest and the southeast for sure. And there's this giant thing that's like real slow, climbs trees and has giant claws that just shears trees. And it's like, probably like, the, that's probably the sound it made. And you'll be like, what is this thing? Let's shoot it. And that's what they did. <laughs> and we know that because of some special footprints in White Sands. Not those special footprints, but the other footprints directed by Tarantino, where <laughs> he was really into feet, and there's a human and sloth duking it out. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Just they're just like languid creatures, like very slow moving. Like you would just like a sloth, but just like you just supersized it, right? Yeah, and it's like just a it's lost. I think only exists in what Central America, South America now. I think so. So they're like just a very specialized creature. But yeah, you're just walking on a continent with all that that crazy stuff. We can get it more into it, but I would say favorite ice age animal. I mean the dire wolf for sure, but it's kind of a cop out. But yeah, what do you do? Study dogs or something? Yeah, <laughs> saber tooth cats are cool. But I would say yeah, like. Favorite megafauna is just mammoths. I find them fascinating. They're like just elephants, but hairy. I bet they probably worked the same way. They're like yeah. had the same intelligence or herd structures and stuff, but probably a lot different in some ways because it was cold adapted more so than warm. Yeah. What about you? I'm also a fan of the mammoth just because I think of the associations with humans that we have. And I think that's, it's always interesting to think about how like Clovis people running around like stabbing these big boys if they did it you know I think it'd be super interesting <laughs> if they did it we could have a if, paleo Indian write a book called if I did it if I did it <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <continue. laughs> is that the lapel story uh-huh. <laughs> My my favorite though, <laughs> my favorite though is the short face bear. Come on! Oh damn, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, just like this. I have to see how tall it is. I believe like, there's no evidence of people hunting those. Kept a yeah. wide berth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a, I think that's a good call. And it was standing on its hind legs. It was eight to ten feet tall. Walking on all fours, it was three to five feet tall. Six. It was like. Half a ton? Yeah. Wow. Leonardo DiCaprio should stay away. <laughs> I got my boy. Hark! <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite quote from that entire movie is, I mean, there's many, I'd say, but it's when Tom Hardy's like, protect the belts! <laughs> the way he says it, the belts! Uh, I just say that all the time when I have to pick something up. Um, what were we saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The short-faced bear, too. Like, that probably was, like, super aggressive with those long arms that it had because it had longer arms than other bears, probably for, I'm assuming, predatory reasons. That wouldn't make it faster. No. Maybe climbing. No. Yeah, it could be climbing. It could be reaching certain things and trees or whatever. Yeah. And they could, and uh, there's some research out there that they could 
that suggests that they could run between 25 to 28 miles per hour. So I stand corrected. I mean, how fast? I guess modern bears can run pretty fast when they're after something. So you have like a 10 foot tall, half a ton tank running after you. I think, I think they wide berth is a, is a solid choice. Yeah. Would help if you had dogs to bark at it, but we don't know. Brown bears can get up to 35 miles per hour. So it's just like a big, it's a fast boy. Yeah. Super fast boy. Oh, Megafauna cave hyena for sure. Uh, that's not North oh, American. Okay, cave hyenas are cool because they had longer legs and were probably more coarsers than they were scavengers, and just like populated all those caves that you would have walked in that would have been like, <laughs> and you'd be like, uh oh, not this one, <laughs> not this one. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah, um, and they like all the it. sounds they make and stuff, like the the laughing and the cackling and stuff, and that like hissing sound they make, but like twice as big, so like deeper. Kind of scary. And like amplified in a cave. That would be insane. It would be pretty nuts to hear. Yeah. I'm also going to throw out that the American horse, I think it was cool that we had horses in North America that were not Spanish brought. Shout out to our boys, the horse. Our boys. Keeping people moving 3000 BC. That's a good boy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's a good... Oh yeah, <laughs> Red Dead. You're Red a good boy. Yeah, I, was, I thought you were doing the Revenant again, but uh, also yeah, like in France, they're driving them off of cliffs and stuff, eating the shit out of them. Must have tasted pretty good, or I guess it was they were easy enough to scare off the cliff. I guess maybe. Is that where they got all their glue too? Who was telling us that? Somebody was. I'm just joking. I was just making a bad oh. horse joke. Some, uh, I guess it was Will. So he mentioned something about horse glue, but that, maybe it was something different. Hmm. Maybe that was in yeah, person. Out, maybe it was. Yeah. Shout out to Will Taylor. Still studies this stuff. Yeah. Will's our boy. Yeah. So Pleistocene horses. Oh, I posted a TikTok yesterday uh, and it was like a, an amalgamation or a slideshow of the paintings that Tori does for me. And I put mm-hmm. little captions to them and it got like 300,000 views like within a day. I was like, damn. But all these people were like, that, number seven is inaccurate. There were no horses in North America. Otherwise, great post. And I'm like, dude, hold up. And a bunch of people went in and like corrected them for me. But I still had to, that was probably the most frequent thing I got. And it's like, no, horses evolved in North America. They then left along with camels. And when the ice, oh, excuse me, when the sea corridor that they swam through froze up, <laughs> they couldn't make it back across. So uh, they got stuck. And then llamas being like all the way cold adapted up in the highlands came back down and they're like, guys, <laughs> all the camels are gone and the horses. So, but yeah, they, they came from here. And that's why like the BLM horse problem is such a thing. Cause like we want our European and Asian and Middle Eastern cattle to graze the lands out here. But like it was actually ruminated by horses for, and bison for millions of years. And now cows. I didn't even think about that. That's why those populations do so well. Yeah. Cause, and the problem is too, they, uh, shout out Dale and Grindle. I think she told me this, but they, uh, like horses eat the food, like the plant that they're, the foliage that they're eating at the root and pull mm-hmm. it all the way out. And that's there before everything gets barren, but the cows eat just the grass. So like it'll keep the grass pretty green. And like fertile so it can go again, but horses pull the whole thing out. So when you have, if it was just horses going out there, like living and existing, and I guess bison did their own thing, 
it didn't, I guess it was a balance, right? With bison and horses doing that. But like now with cows needing all that grass out there to feed the beef industry, horses just get shot at helicopters. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. It yes. is pretty wild. Uh, I know a goats, I think it's goats do the same thing, right? They, they rip from the, the root and, and completely clear stuff out. What a weird animal, dude. Like God or Charles Darwin's ghost was just like, <laughs> let me just stick some horns on a mini little cow thing and give it cross eyes. And it's going to chew sideways and go like, Meh! like and he could have done better. And then we're going to put it, we're going to allow it to like, <laughs> is God a they? On the next episode of the Life and Ruins <laughs> podcast, we figure out if God is a they. <laughs> and at that, at this point, we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. Is everyone who prayed to God as a he or a she not in heaven because they're canceled? Tune in next week. Oh, yeah. You know what time it is. You're back. Episode 138. Paleo Mondays. Paleo Mondays. Hopefully it'll solve your case of the Mondays. I don't know. It'll probably just bore you because we're ridiculous. We ended up the last segment talking about goats and I wanted to tell like a little story. So my office, I got a new job. I'm, I'm working with the state of Wyoming. Bing, 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 bing. Congrats. Thanks, man. But they have this obsession with goats within the office. There's like an office culture obsessed with goats. Like there's weird. Yeah. I have Damien who was on the podcast. My supervisor bought me a goat mug. And they also do a goat weird. calendar. Yeah, it's key. Oh, it's key. it gets weirder. They have a goat calendar every year, and there's a there's a whole at the beginning of the month. Everyone guess like no one looks at the calendar um, and actually cheats or anything. Every beginning of the month, you guess how many goats are in the goats are in the a actual, classic goat guess. Yeah, yeah. How many goats and then and how many trees? Because it's all goats and trees is the calendar. So there's like a whole culture around that. Like, so I, I, I won the first time, I guess three goats and one tree ended up being like eight goats and three trees or something like that. It's super weird, but I'm, we're, we're goat people now, Charlie. We're live and die with a goat. <laughs> you were talking about too, like their hooves and stuff. And like, like if you watch goats, like scale walls and stuff, like in the middle East, like it is crazy. And it's just like that solid example of natural selection because like or adaptation because they have to hide from all those predators that can come from any direction so they just like vertically scale walls (laughs) well and to get food too but yeah i think it was in planet earth where they have that like scene where that is it the snow leopard or is chasing goats and they're like on vertical shelves that's what i'm thinking of yeah i don't know if it was snow leopard but some cat yeah yeah that's it's insane like they're but they'll, they'll just scream at you like, Aah! they're like these freak animals. But that's, I guess, kind of getting into what I'd like to talk about, too, is like you have, especially in North America, this continent, and Australia is a solid example. You have all these animals that are perfectly adapted to their stable environment. And I just shouldn't say stable, like it, it does, climate does fluctuate pretty hard over the millennia, but like relatively good time. And then like about twenty to 10,000 years ago, like that climate starts like going haywire and things just start dying off. So like in Australia too, like there's like marsupial cats, giant predators and stuff, and they are perfectly adapted to those environments as well because Australia is like a wild ecosystem. And then about 40,000 years ago, all those megafauna in Australia 
kind of start to disappear. And giant kangaroos and stuff go extinct. But it's interesting because 10,000 years before that, these apes with fire show up and they're like, huh, look at all this meat. (laughs) I don't know. It's just weird, you know? And like in Siberia, when, when people show up there too, animals die. And like when people show up in North America, animals die. And when they show in South America, they die. Not only that, when they show up in Madagascar, the animals die. And when they show up in New Zealand, they start clubbing all those birds to death. <laughs> Was that climate? Did humans come in there with their their CO2 emissions from their gas fossil fuel cars and destroy the environment? Probably. Did they bash <laughs> the animals over the head? More likely. Yeah. Well, so Because climate it- changes everywhere. But like yeah. when humans get there, it's a pretty, you know, as Todd put it, like, if there's a bunch of murders in a town where this one person's going, it's probably that person. Just, just saying. To, to give some context and to actually do some real science, which we, we rarely do. I'm the Alex um, Jones of archaeology. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. So, in North America specifically, 37 mammalian gen- genera, including over 70% of its megafauna, were lost toward the end of the Pleistocene. Toward the end, that's huh? A l- that's, a, that's a lot. Yeah. Does it mention the Pridmosti site in the Czech Republic? No. Because there's a site in the Czech Republic called the Pridmosti site, Connor, where there are evidence of possible dogs, but they're like maybe just wolves, but they buried one with a mammoth bone in its mouth. So they're probably like proto dogs hanging around the camp. And why would they be hanging around the camp, Connor? Because at this one site, which was occupied continuously for like a thousand years, 700 Mammoths, actually a thousand mammoths, I believe, according to the the, the paper, were killed there. And hmm. I wonder why the dogs were hanging out eating all this mammoth bones. But seven hundred mammoths? Can you have any such certificate? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it quacks like a duck, <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, a megafauna duck, mega duck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you lose seven hundred mammoths like your population can't like feasibly recover from that it's like a mammoth a year (laughs) yeah yeah like they're slow um birthing too they're not like real rapid species that just 16 months 14 months yeah yeah that's a long period of time like you don't repopulate quickly let me let me type this in my search history today is gonna be weird (laughs) elephant do you want to do you want to read it to the crowd yeah 18 to 22 months. African bush elephant, 22 months. So more than a year. Yeah. That's almost, almost two years. years. Yeah. Of just being hormonal and pregnant. Yeah. But anyway, so I believe in my coding class, we learned like one of the, the example problems was like of how to code was this many mammoths existed in Wyoming at this time, possibly. And if it takes 22 months to gestate a mammoth and there's people hunting a mammoth every you know, year, but there's multiple mm-hmm. groups of people doing it. How quickly are the mammoths going to die in Wyoming? It's a pretty fast amount of years. It's quick. <laughs> but that's not to say that, according to that one study, Clovis points could not have killed Proposidians. But with one throw, not even from Donnie Dust or, or 
Devin Atlattle, man, Devin Atlattle Pettigrew himself. Uh, my throw, my first throw, perfectly penetrated what was said it couldn't in that one paper. So it just, Questions it's are just asked. odd to me. <laughs> is it almost like people have an agenda where they're like, is it? Hmm. Interesting. Is it- <laughs> when Obama was in office, all the megafauna died. But when Trump was in office, none did. Coincidence? I think not. I'm Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Does my white bow tie make me look like a white supremacist? Yes. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's one of those... Uh, I f- sorry, I want a whole Tucker Carlson impersonation tangent. What were you going to say? <laughs> There's a paper out by Tyler Faith and Todd Cerevel, uh published in 2009, that really says that this event of these extinction events really occur in like a small period of time. So it's like between 12,000 and 10,000 radiocarbon years before present. It's like very tight window. Is that Clovis window? Think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which you think... I mean, it is pretty, to be fair, there is a lot of drastic climate change occurring on a scale that isn't really, really isn't seen yeah. anywhere else. Um, it might have occurred in, in the Pleistocene previous times, but this is like a pretty wild, unstable period. So, right. so there is probably a little bit of that that is affecting population size. Absolutely. And I think that was my paper in our, our arc theory class with Nicole Wagaspec, mm-hmm. uh, shout out that like her, put it this way, meteor aside, like climate was already destroying these populations, like shifting and going like that. Right. Then yeah. humans coming in there at that time as another thing in the mix just didn't help. Cause it like those populations were already declining and then humans came in and just, you know, got the final, final kill on them because climate does kill things all over. Oh Yeah. But so do humans. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, Um, and especially like cold adopted, like they're surviving and thriving in probably one of the coldest periods in the Pleistocene. And then you go to this like rapid, rapid change. Like you, you probably just die. You overheat, you, um, you lose your food source. There's just, there's a lot of stuff that could be done because of that. Yeah. And if you think about it too, like the animals that are, let's say mammoths or horses or something that are used to foraging in whatever environment they were, if that's getting warmer, they got to push further north to exist where they do to keep that same climate. So smaller animals, let's say like, for example, way more rabbits are coming up there eating foliage than like, you're just getting, not rabbits, but things that are better adapted to that area will now start pushing into that area. And those bigger ones that don't gestate as fast, like don't breed like rabbits, are going to die off. And that's just well, like kind of basic science, you know? The mutations there aren't present because it's not as quickly mutating of a population. The change doesn't really occur oh, sure. as yeah. quickly because it's those potential for mutations aren't isn't there. And yeah, exactly. And not to say humans were killing are not killing dire wolves. I don't know of any examples of it, but like the dire wolf was very adapted to lowlands and plains and it was taken out bison and like big things like that. However, it couldn't adapt to changing climates and wolves live kind of everywhere. And the wolves mm-hmm. that 
existed on the plains that had to compete with them obviously weren't doing as great as the dire wolves, but the wolves that lived up in higher alpine areas and, you know, what kind of wolves are reduced to today were totally fine because like they were adapted to that area already and could survive it. Mm -hmm. So that's a solid example of climate or just the loss of other species, you know, causing an extinction. But was that extinction or those extinctions of species caused by a trophic cascade of people coming here too at the same time? I don't can't argue against it. Yeah, I think it's really, really, and the more you see and the more we find about that period, I think we're going to continue to see evidence of uh, scavenging, maybe hunting, you know, all those things. I think it is going to continue to come out that these are, I mean, if you have access to that and are able to hunt those megafauna, well, why wouldn't you? I right. mean, that's, 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 it's just, you know, it makes sense adaptation wise. And I'm still of the idea that like, we might not have been hunting all of these mammoths, like physically chasing and hunting them, but they probably got a lot of them are near rivers and like elephants, especially baby elephants get stuck a lot in those rivers and can't get pulled out like in the mud. Mm-hmm. So like we could probably just walk by, hear it crying and then pop it. And like, that's like Leprello is a solid example of like, that's totally a possibility because we found the point that had a mammoth blood on it. But like, was it just, you know, cooperative hunting like a Jason Bourne or was it like, or I guess, what's his name? Joe Rogan oh my God, and it's uh, Jason Bourne. Cameron Haynes. Oh my God, it's Joe Rogan. Um, and then uh, he's like, athletic greens and like disappeared the mammoth. Or was it just stuck in the ground and they took it out of its misery and then used multiple years of occupation of skinning its hides and using every bit of it to, uh, you know, they were, they didn't kill it. It was just dead. Okay. Difficult question. (laughs) What, what kills a mammoth? That's an animal. What would you say that like a megafauna animal that could kill a mammoth? It have to be, do you think it had to be like some sort of pack animal? Like, I don't know if a short face bear is going to bring down a mammoth. Maybe a baby, because I do. There are like lions that kill baby elephants in Africa all the time. Okay, it's also a super sad video too. Like I was just like, oh, that thing knows it's oh. dying. Oh. Yeah, like other animals, like probably are just like, what's happening? This hurts. But elephants are like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have my will. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to see the last season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> don't give anything to David. <laughs> <laughs> brutal, brutal stuff. But yeah, either. Have to have been pack animal or pack hunters like wolves or lions, if yeah. anything. They probably hunted the, only the babies. Like nothing's going after a bull elephant. Yeah, no, I, don't I know, think. Did, did you have an answer? No, that that, that was my question. I, like I don't see bears going after. I mean, do bears? I guess the question is, do bears go after bison? And uh, things? I did see a video of people getting married either in Montana or Alaska. Or maybe somewhere up, in Jamie. Canada. Pull it up, Jamie. <laughs> of they're like reading their vows at the altar, and then you just hear like, and then you hear, and it was just like a moose getting dragged out of the water, uh, being like just eaten alive by a bear, and like the whole wedding's right there. It looked beautiful, but like, literally forty feet away across this lake, or maybe forty meters away, there's just a bear like tearing, and like that people are scarred for life. <laughs> oh my god. And like so, and I was thinking the whole time, like, oh, it sucks for the wedding. It's your fault for getting married. But also, uh, <laughs> the um, <laughs> the what, like, 
a bear just took out a moose. Moose are like arguably scarier than bears to me because they're oh, yeah. so powerful. So like if a bear can take out a moose, definitely a baby mammoth. Especially yeah. if you eat it by the trunk. Well, and if you if you say that the uh, short faced bear is taller, that probably size probably works. Like I think you could do so. it. Well, this was an interesting segment of this podcast. Sorry, I went off the rails a little bit there, but we will oh, yeah. <laughs> we will come back in segment three with some science. Maybe we're back. We're back. I'm gonna let Connor lead the discussion here because I I went. There's a lot of cuts in that last <laughs> last segment. I went off cut the that. rails. So cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. Cut that. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna let <laughs> we're gonna let Connor talk. I just wanted to mention that the kind of the first proponent of this, so this this theory of humans killing off all the megafauna is called the overkill hypothesis. I think it was originally proposed by Paul Martin back in 1973 in Science. That's a, we just want to mention. That's a journal. Yeah, some days. Yeah, yeah, but just that's that's kind of this whole discussion is the overkill hypothesis or the climate hypothesis there. And then there's kind of the middle iteration of it, which is both climate and overkill, which I think that's like everyone, but Todd Cerevel falls into the middle. Of yeah. That. And I, I should add, uh, I may immediately interrupt immediately interrupting Decepticon variant Hobo 19 <laughs> is <laughs> Snooky Goldberg. I need to add that like where we were at Wyoming, there were a few professors who are pretty strong about overkill. So, like, I have my biases. Connor also does. But, like, when you think of it, there's only a few schools that actually study this, and, like, most of them kind of agree. So, like, mm, like it's biases, but also, like, we've learned about this a lot in school. So yeah, this And is, some people might kind of- find saying climate and overkill are combo, or, like, both did it, which is what I, I'm a proponent of. But other people that we know might just be like, no, it's only one. (laughs) So, yeah. But I mean, that that kind of follows a similar debate or, I mean, I think a lot of people in that time period, there's, it's a little campy and the paleo stuff, but yeah, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. And uh, I mean, the other thing too is the meteor and that gets the bug buzzword. Hancock talks about it. He's got his new show. And like Graham the meteor, Graham Cock hashtag is like, I mean, rightfully so. It's a cool theory. Like if an impact came in and destroyed everything, like that's awesome. But it's also like he's pigeonholing it into one thing. Like it, like one thing caused it. And it's an easy thing to blame it on, much like the dinosaurs. It's like, oh, of course it killed everything. But like it only killed everything in North America, according to him. Like the rest of the world, like it's, I guess just not like doesn't I matter. Think there's. Or he says it's the whole world, but... Yeah, I think there's other... I think it's like a larger thing. But yeah, so the last period that w- where things get wild is the Younger Dryas is what we're calling it. And then this is the Younger Dryas impact hypothesis, which is that a bunch of meteors went all nuclear and caused this this change that we're seeing, this annex extinction. It's it's heavily debated. I mean, it's... There's, a, there's no punches pulled in this debate. Yeah. And like he specifically says, like it's at this time at the end of the Younger Dryas or during the Younger Dryas. But like again, things in Australia die way before those meteors were hitting. A lot of things die in Australia. There were some meteors there on the ground with mm-hmm. feet, so <laughs> and spears. But um, 
I guess, Woomera or Atlatls, but uh, not to distract, but I guess what I'm saying is if the impact hypothesis is true, cool, right? I'm fine with that. Like, I, I don't think there's enough sufficient evidence for me to say so yet. However, mm-hmm. it could be a climate or a combination of the meteor climate and humans. Like, why can't that be a thing where a lot of people are just in the camp of, nope, it's just a meteor, like humans didn't do anything. And I'm like, why, where, why would you say that? <laughs> that's yeah, that that's that's the camp I cannot participate in. And that exactly. really it really does overlap with like pseudoscience and pseudoarchaeology. It really That's the most those I things, get those comments, yeah. Those are the I think that's the the greatest proponent and greatest density of pseudoscientists and pseudoarchaeologists are in that camp of boom sky climate change. And I don't I, I just can't the evidence doesn't support that. Like there obviously are meteors, like all the stuff that they are finding is real mm-hmm. and they have like good evidence for it. I mean, all the stuff that the guy, who's the topper guy? Al Goodyear. Yeah. All Goodyear's. He's finding the evidence of those meteors. There's another guy who does the stuff, the impact stuff there. I can't remember his name. I met him a few oh, years ago. Um, Shane, Shane would know. He's a, he's a, he pops up on the, you would know on Facebook and I'm like, well, I'm not going to add him, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like th- those impacts are like there for sure. And like, I mean, I'm not to bash Hancock again, but like not not even bashing him. I'm just saying like he says, oh, look, all of these meteors hit right at this time. And like you can see it in the soil. But he also admits that like meteors been hitting the earth like through all the soil, like at the other times. It just conveniently fits into that one. Is there in concentration? Yeah. But like they're still hitting it in places like meteor the di- my meteor's called di- but, but, <laughs> sorry I just, <laughs> I just, I just, <laughs> just joe biden <laughs> uh, come on man <laughs> Gotta get come on uh, the better build back better plan what was i saying oh. um it's just a convenient <laughs> I like, truly feel for meteor- the man <laughs> yeah meteors have been hitting our planet for forever every single day there might be concentrations like the it's likely killed the dinosaurs is what i think where where you were going is that yes that's what i was trying to say <laughs> <laughs> like it likely killed the dinosaurs or it caused the climate change and and right. all that stuff that's associated with it so that's that's a very real thing but micro crystals and huge meteors don't really we know where that meteor hit i i just don't think they're the big one in greenland yeah yeah yeah, like yeah. they're not equivalent to what they're. Oh, oh, the the dinosaur one was in the Yucatan. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Which one? In Greenland. Greenland's the one that Hancock's talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. But they're not equivalent. I mean, and meteors hit it all the time. It's just it's not a it's not a solid argument based in the facts and the science. Yeah, and like he's saying that the major event of that was during the Younger Dryas, which is eleven thousand years ago. I think, right? Is that my right there? Yeah. 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 But like cave hyenas, as I was talking about the other day on, on Instagram, they died out 15,000 years ago in Siberia, coincidentally, when humans and dogs are there. But anyway, they died out long before the meteors hit. So things were already dying and people don't see it that way, especially because it's projected to them and spewed at them that it was a meteor in the thing. But like the, the hot topic back in the day was this overkill thing. And this was the same yeah. thing where people are like, I don't think so. Because, like, how could humans possibly kill everything? And then people get the idea of, like, they were hunting every last one. And it's like, no. If you kill no, the bull elephant, not. the herd's going to disband, you know? 
Yeah. Well, and the, the the reality of the the past and of what we study is that everything is fucking messy. Like, yep. Th- this like this the Gramcock like one one theory equals this and explains all stuff just doesn't work because humans are messy. The climate is messy. The Earth is wild. It's on like weird cycles that change through time. Like it's none random of this stuff chaos. is easy. Yeah, it's it, it. You're right. It's just it's random chaos. Like there's not. We we look for simple answers, but it's never. I never feel like that is adequate, an adequate story that we're telling or an adequate representation of the past because it's it's complicated. That's yeah, the, the reality of it. There's a lot of context to it that needs to be explained, and that's what leads me to believe it's the right answer. Is that it's a mix of everything because it's hard to explain. People want one answer that's just the the be all end all, but like. If you wanted one answer, I'd say it's humans, <laughs> but like in addition to the other things, but because that's the only factor that's changed. Meteors have been hitting the planet for years. Climate's been changing for years, but then <sighs> I'm not going to do it again, but uh, <laughs> um, humans appear. But I, I know I'm sounding biased here, but I guess what I'm trying to, to get to is you can't sit down and explain to people who aren't interested in archaeology or ecology or Pleistocene zoology the entire history of like, oh, well, there's climate, there's humans, there's this, there's the meteor. Meteor just makes sense, and I get that. So it's that's what leads me to believe the right answer is it's all of it because it's hard to explain. Yeah, well, as with you, and I think we ended last time we were talking about this as like a science communicator. You you have a minute or two to explain all this on a TikTok video. How do you how do you do that? What's the because you want you want to give context and you want to give people different sides. Like it's the Graham Cock is definitely um, exploiting that with his one theory yeah. solves everything. Specifically today, I like got one that was saying like you're spewing misinformation. Talk about the Lambridge theory, and I didn't mention the Lambridge. I just showed a map of people and dogs walking from Siberia to the Americas, which like. Yes, that's specifically showing Beringia to the Americas, but it's also just showing a, a visual example of people coming from one place to another. Whether they were in boats or flying doesn't really matter. Uh, and I only have a minute to explain it. So, like, I can't possibly yeah. get everything. Yeah. Unless you, like, you're fast right. forward your voice like 10 times. And the cow highway. I'm a huge proponent of like humans and Neanderthals being the same species. Like it's, we're all just mutant Homo erectus, but like Homo erecti. However, it, people are most familiar with Neanderthal. So in my post today, I said humans meeting Neanderthals and trading. But like, I'm not going to say Homo sapiens sapiens and Homo sapiens Neanderthalensis meeting and trading wolf belts. It's just too much to type on a little tiny thing. So like. Well, and you can't you can't reference like this is my opinion. People think differently in that little period, right? When it's supposed to be <laughs> humans and dogs around the world, like it's just not relevant. Yeah, and people are like they're different species, or they're like blah blah blah, and there's it just creates engagement, which is nice. Yeah. Money, also, money, don't money. piss off people that are really into Egypt because oh, <laughs> she wants some engagement. Anyway, I'm gonna let you speak. <laughs> no, I just think it's um, and I think that's part of this podcast and part of what we are doing as part of this is to give this context to understand because, because this is what we learned. We learned grad school that things aren't easy and, and simple and there's people involved and people get pissy and have opinions. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's just, we hope to present this information in a way that is, 
it's going to always be biased, but less biased and more nuanced than you would get just kind of like a science paper or a science article or something like that. Like we, we want to deconstruct those things because it's important. Mm -hmm. And it's not as easy as saying like, we scientifically know your heart is in this part of your chest, you know, like it's not, it doesn't work like that. We're like pretty sure your nervous system is this electrical impulse thing and like uh, electrical conduit through your body. But that's easy. This stuff is hard and very subjective. And the fun thing is like, we only have what 3% of the world dug up. So like there's, I mean, not even that. So there's just a million answers and everything's dead and you don't have a time machine to see it. So what's your estimate of like, what is actually preserved over of over time. So like we have 3% of the land dug up and of that 3%, maybe say like 5% of the archeological remains that are created are preserved or the bones, like all that stuff wastes away and gets destroyed. Like how much do you think the archeology span record represents the totalness of human, human culture? Not even a percent. Yeah. Like historical archaeology. Sure. Like we know we're almost there. There's like, you can see the human made like stucco structures and like stone structures and things like, yeah, you can see it. But like understanding the languages and the cultures and the clothing and the, the painting and the, you know, stories that existed in coastal South Carolina, 6,000 years ago. No idea. All we see is the rocks. So, Does that mean they had Jetsons cars flying around space like Graham Hancock suggests? Or he just says, (laughs) I I realized this the other day too. He doesn't, he really doesn't say that stuff. He says there was probably an advanced civilization, but like advanced to him means like, like the Iroquois or something like that. Like people that live in a complex civilization or complex society use stone tools and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. But like people interpret that to mean like they had flying cars and things like, like I've noticed like that, the Atlantean thing. So anyway, I think he gets taken out of context a lot, even by us, but sorry, I distracted from your question. No, I mean, I just think we just have, we have such a limited sample. We probably have a 0.0001%. Like we don't have all the stone tools. We don't have all the rocks. We don't, we don't even have the stuff that preserves. And like you're saying, the the entirety of human culture is oral tradition or there's there's so many facets of it that we only really get a 0.001% guess of that. So we're doing all right. Fuck all y'all who say we aren't doing we aren't real scientists. We're doing all right, okay? We got we don't yeah. have enough data. We're just working for it, okay? Yep. And science like changes too. Like that's good science. Like it like doesn't need to change. I know the three of us plus Shane and Jesse are pretty resistant to change when it comes to people in the Americas, but you know, what can you do? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like I explained this on a podcast the other day too. Like we have dug up quite a bit of North America and like all over North America, we're pretty, you know, it's pretty ubiquitous that there's stone tools and there's hunting camps. There's eight deer bones that they were eating these kinds of scrapers. So they're making food or making hides, making tools, around in the country. So like say there's, I mean, there's more than 17,000 sites in the, the country. Let's say there's like 17 million archeological sites in the country. There are mm-hmm. three that are weird in the news like that. And like, that doesn't mean we don't like, you know, it's just like, we have a pretty it's solid just, statistically significant example of what history was. Yeah. The sample size of those doesn't 
the outlier they're outliers that's what they are that's the reality yeah. is that they're like statistically they are outliers within our our larger understanding of the archaeological record so they mm. should be treated like that like it's an errant piece of data who were the the papers we were talking about like you want to list so, those for the people yeah so reading stuff i'll start with um and these will all be linked in the show notes um there's a article by Broughton and Weitzel, that's Population Reconstructions for Human and Megafauna in Nature. And that's in 2018. So that's that's one of the ones we were talking about. David Meltzer dropped one in 2020 about overkill, glacial history, extinction of North America's Ice Age fauna. The one we were talking about, about the short period of time that a lot of the megafauna disappear, um, is Faith in Cerville, 2009 in... Oh, the proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences. So that's good. What else did we? And then, then uh, there's also Cervell, Pelton, Sprecher, and Myers, uh, 2015, which is a test of Martin's overkill hypothesis using radiocarbon mm-hmm. dates on a st- extinct megafauna. So those will all be in the show notes. Please go check them out. Um, a lot of these are open access, and we'll have links to the open access versions. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate your guys' emails, uh, especially after last episode. We do read them. So thank you for the constructive criticisms and the compliments. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And Carlton will be back. Or he's already back today. I think he just flew into JFK. So we should be back to our normal programming next week. Be sure to follow our Instagram page. I think you guys still use the Twitter. I refuse to use Twitter. We got a Facebook page. And yeah, be sure to rate and review the podcast. It would really help us out. We got swag. If you're against megafauna, get the swag. Yeah. I think Carlton was offering something about stickers the other day. I'm not, I'm not supposed to make those promises anymore. Yeah. I thought that was you and you were just like throwing one of the bus and I was like cackling. On his like, Instagram story? Yeah. It was on, it was on the life and ruins podcast Instagram story. So I thought you were just like, if you <laughs> oh, see Carlton, Carlton and hug him and, you know, give him a wet willy, we'll send you a sticker. I was like, oh my that was God, Carlton's desire to be loved. <laughs> <laughs> we all have it. <laughs> we love you, Carlton. <laughs> we do too. And I, I, I'll post a, a post. Maybe I'll do a joint one between the our page and mine about Overkill. And if you guys have any like opinions or something like that, throw it on our Instagram. Like, let us know in the comments. Um, this should be out Monday the eighth, ninth, the eighth Monday the ninth. Uh, rem- right. Never forget January 9th. I, something happened that day. Oh, I'm thinking of January 6th. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and with oh. that, we are out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. Connor, we forgot to do our joke. Yeah, I didn't stop the recording, so we're good. Well, that was my lead-in for you to do it. It wasn't very good. I know, it was terrible. That was my joke. (laughs) Why can't Michael Jackson play chess? Oof, topical. Um, I don't know. Because he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) oh i wonder what killed him was it uh climate or was it his doctor messing with his meds was it human air-conditioned temperature (laughs) 
I don't know. The kid was a mess. <laughs> and on that note, we're out. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.